Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's... Monday afternoon, I'm actually a little bit behind, but I was just doing a mission of mercy with Ira. we trying to help the little old lady out. Um, let's get down to the Haftorah this week. because It's a packed week in many respects. Um, today's uh, Haftorah podcast, which is Haftorah Shabbos Ago, is being, I should really give this in Spanish, <laughs> right? Because the sponsors are Spanish. First of all, we're Spanish-speaking. First of all, one of the sponsors is my very good friend, Chesko Lichman. Rabbi Lichman living now in... I didn't know, he called me... He's now living in Florida, uh, where the weather is better than it is in Baltimore. You don't come to Baltimore for the weather. So thank you very much. This will be my sister's brother-in-law, okay? My sister's brother-in-law. And the other one, the other sponsor, they're from Panama. This is from Rose Chefetz, whose husband, Isaac Chefetz, was a student of mine. They're from Panama. And it's nice that they live in Israel. He's in Kola there, and it's nice that she wrote me that they listen closely to the podcast. And they're also partially sponsoring it, so we thank all the sponsors. But unfortunately, it's have to be in the English language. <laughs> Even though Chesco uh, is from Mexico, and she's from Panama, but you'll have to have simultaneous translation like they do in the United Nations. <laughs> now, without any further ado, let's take a look at our Haftorah today, which is very famous. Uh, you know, at the end... It's not easy to understand, but it's very famous. The end is, Because it says that it's going to be Yom HaGadol, some hold that that's Shabbos HaGadol. That's why they call it Shabbos HaGadol. Others have many other reasons for Shabbos HaGadol. You know, it's the day when the Jews took the animal in Egypt, as we all know. And uh who has a nice born on it. And uh, my favorite is Rashi in the uh, Sefer uh, something or other. Say for a partner or whatever, where <laughs> Rashi said he called Yom Hagadol because the rabbi's speech is so long. <laughs> it goes on endlessly. <clears throat> of course, I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> right. Now, um, the Haftorah is a little weird. It often is. And the reason I say it's weird is because, first of all, it's missing an important part. And second of all, uh, what is its exact connection with Pesach? Okay. Many have tried to figure this out. Uh, this is from Malachi. Chagas Chaim Malachi, the last book in the Treyasar, which is a very unknown book, very unknown sefer. The only psukim people know from um, from Malachi, especially from this Haftorah, is which we say in the Shemun Esri every day. That you know the Hirotzen at the end. That's the first pasuk in our Haftorah today. And then Everybody knows that one also. <clears throat> but the stuff in the middle, they do not know. Now Malachi was a prophet, the last of the prophets, it seems. You know, Chagas Chaim Malachi. Think about that. In his time, Nebuchadnezzar was on the way out. And he lived, um, I guess, at the Bayashani period at the beginning. It's controversial when exactly he did. And to be perfectly honest, we don't know exactly who Malachi is. Some, even Taina, listen closely. Malachi means my messenger. So it could be when it says, this is the book of Malachi, it could be this is the, wor- wor- this is the words of my messenger God is saying. In other words, the prophet is the Malach, 
God's uh, not angel, but messenger. That is the basis, as far as I understand, why you find this extremely weird business. Then the Gemara, they say, the Malachi is really somebody else. Some, you've seen this in the Gemara Megillah. I'm sure many of you know what I'm talking about. Some say Malachi is identical with Ezra. Some say Malachi is identical with Mordechai, this, that, and the other. You don't usually find that with the other Nevi'im. They don't say Zechariah was this guy, Yonah was that guy, you know, Amos was that guy. But Malachi you do, because the word Malachi might not be the guy's name. Although we usually take it as it is, and many people have a name Malachi. Well, I can't say it's the most popular name in the world, but I'm thinking of the Sefer Yad Malachi from Malachi Akon back in Italy in the uh, 1700s. You know, it's a name, right? It's a totally Jewish name. And uh, let's go with that. Now, the book of Malachi is short, as many of the books in Treyasar are. And um, there's two places we have Haftorah here. One's in Vayishlach, I have to remember that. And the other one's this Haftorah of Shabbos Agaro. And it may be very much that because Yom HaGadol HaGivranura, that's why they mentioned over here, which will be strange, because he's doing a whole half Torah just for one Pesach. But stranger things have happened in Judaism. Now, as is always the case, you got to know the context. I realize people don't know the context. You open up the Book of Malachi, and you find that he was living uh, in a time of tremendous disappointment. The, the second temple had just been built. A lot of hopes had gone into it. Uh, a lot of efforts had gone into persuading the persons to give the Jews permission to rebuild. I did that not long ago when we talked about Purim. They did get permission to rebuild. Uh, it was impressive. I mean, it wasn't like Shlomo, but it was impressive. And then things screwed up, as often happens. Uh, once the base of Mish settled into the daily routine, and the Jews got used to it. You see, the most chashev thing in the world you get used to. And you don't treat it with respect. And it's exactly what Malachi is always complaining about. And he's saying, you know, now you have a temple, why don't you treat it with respect? But the Kohanim are no darn good. They uh, cheat and steal, and they use Lousy carbonus, the people are no good. This is where you say, you bring Iver and Piseach in chapter one, you know, you bring um, <clears throat> the worst animals in your flock. You know what I mean? A farmer has, let's uh, say, 50 goats uh, or 50 sheep. And the one that's sick and all the rest of it, no, let's knock it off as a carbon. Yoytzikamen, you know? And that's not that's a, a, a contempt for Hashem. Hakurven al-Pechasecha, as the prophet says so famously in chapter one, would you offer it up to a guy, to, to a, a Persian uh, um, ruler, they would be angry at you. But Hashem, you give anything, and he's always talking about the fact that way by and by his region, the Kohanim were honest now, the Kohanim are dishonest, and the people are no darn good either. And a lot of what we have in today's parsha has to do with him blasting the people. And, uh, you know, the it is the style of the Haftorah, uh, because it was read in public for the Hamun Am, not to have psukim that are explicitly bad against the Jews, but to sort of cut and paste them. And so we have what we call chapter 3, verse 4, but really starts in chapter 3. I mean, I know the chapters are gosh, but the ideas are generally there, and I'll tell you what I mean. If you look in the book of Malachi, not that I'm telling you have to, you'll see that um, there's like a dialogue going back and forth over here, right? And one of the problems is the people no longer believe in Hashem, or at least they don't believe in Scharbonish. That's more the point, okay? They don't believe in Scharbonish. And the reason is simple. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu had issues with Scharbonish. Why do the righteous... Suffering, the wicked prosper. You know, even in Pirkei Yavis, it's ain't lot of Meshavah Rosham, and, you know, Mitzar HaTzadik, and Yisri HaTzadikim. Okay? And he says, at the end of chapter 2, Hogata after a long blasting session, okay, attacking for all kinds of reasons, he says, Hogata Hashem you make God crazy with your words, meaning you come with theological kindness, you know what you're talking about. 
and you have the chutzpah to say, what did we do wrong? And I'll answer you. Ben Markham, kol Hashem. It looks like the evildoers are good in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, the wicked prosper. I don't see the, the crooks and the thieves and the guys who foreclose on widows and orphans and the real estate sharks and the loan sharks. I don't see them doing bad, actually. They're the head of the yeshiva, the head of the shul, they get honored and all the rest. Of them. Nothing bad ever happens to them. It must be that God likes people who are wicked, who cheat, right? Because they're the ones who get ahead in life. We dumb suckers who are honest, you know, we're the ones that get behind. We're screwed with shafted. Why is the world like that? Where is the God of justice? It should be when people do things that are outrageous, they should suffer. If he told me somebody did something terrible and then he got hit with a terrible disease. No, I get it. You know, that shows you there's a stickle yosher in the world. But if, if, but instead, you see the honest person come down with an illness and, and the bad guy uh, roll along. Now, I know you can answer and you say in the next world, no, that's it. But people didn't want to hear it this time. They didn't want to hear it. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> Malachi says like this, you're idiots. Do you want the final judgment? I can bring it. In this case, it means an angel. And he will clear the pass and this will be the final judgment, and then God will show up, okay? And then you're all in trouble. Who can stand when me? Who can withstand the scrutiny of God? He'll come like fire and acid, okay? And so on and so, so forth. So notice, those of you who say, we want to see divine justice, watch out what you're asking for. Because you want to get divine justice, yes, it will be turned on the wicked. That's true. Guess what? You might be in that category. You'll say, me, what did I do wrong? Yeah, who can withstand the scrutiny of God? Oh boy, it'll be like a, a, a furnace. <clears throat> and then, on that day, which you should be scared of, then the base of will run right. Then, you know, things will be the way they're supposed to be. But you, those of you who aren't 100% okay, and nobody is, those of you who aren't spotless on your record, uh, <laughs> you ain't going to see it. And then he goes on to say, and I, God, will bring you to justice. And those will have, we'll have a trial. All of you who think that you're righteous, but really cannot withstand scrutiny. But you see, and I will be the witness. And, and what kind of witnesses? For all the junk you're doing. So let us ask ourselves, what were the sins that were popular in the time of Malachi the prophet? In the beginning by Shani, what were the sins? Well, here's the list: Machashvim, Menafim, as witchcraft, adultery, Nishbam Lasheker, swearing falsely. Boy, that's a nice list. Oshki Sakir, screwing over your employees. Almana Yosam, Omati Gerla Yeruni, people who mess over, who crush the Almana, the Yosam, and the Ger, right? The stranger, the, the, the convert. So you had a situation which you had, like I say, these loan sharks, this thing, this, that, and that's terrible. There's that devastating puzzle. I don't change and you don't change. <laughs> right? Now, it's different before I should translate that puzzle in different ways. But I'll tell you what, how I understand it. I don't change, but you don't change either. You don't, you don't get rid of your Averis. You've been bad from day one, and I've been waiting. Me, Hashem talking. I'm waiting for you to change. Ever since the times of your ancestors, you've been messing up. And you never pay any attention. I've been saying for a thousand years now, return to me and I'll return to you. 
Ba'amartim, and you have the chutzpah say this. Ba'amen no'shuv. Now listen to this. <coughs> what have we done wrong <coughs> that we have to repent? The self-righteousness is the worst of all the sins. And then he goes on to say, you're cheating on the miser and the trumas and this and that and the other, you know, ha'kipayim, katem kum, kwanucha, miser, ratruma, and so on and so on and such and such. This is one of the famous psukim where they say, you can test God with tzedakah, you know. Now, um, he goes on to say, <clears throat> okay, oh, you know, there will be a, a, a be- beautiful era, but you're not going to see it. Chosko like devrechem, your words are a pain and an ectomy. <clears throat> That's pretty bad if God says that. Ba'martim, man den and people say, once again, they give the shtick, what did we do? What did we say wrong? Amartem, I'll tell you what you said wrong, shav avod Elohim. You say, it's no point in worshiping God, because he doesn't actually do anything. You know, like I say, the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper. So I might as well prosper. Uma betza kishomer mishmarto. What do we gain from keeping the mitzvahs? We don't see people who keep mitzvahs getting ahead in life. And we don't see anything wrong with going backwards. So you see, let's put it this way. This was a big era of epicursos, hashkafa issues at that time. Right? And uh, let's put it this way. Uh, we see the wicked prosper. We see them being built up, gewaldic, and they escape catastrophes. When an earthquake happens, when an invasion happens, when things go bad, these are the jerks that escape. Right? So the prophet throws his hands up and he said, I can only rely on the few from. Only a few will, you know, um, get it right. So this is a very, what's the right word? A very uh, pessimistic uh, kind of a prophecy, but he's calling it like he sees it. He's calling it like he sees it. Well, he can't help it. Anobi doesn't say what he feels. Anobi says what he's told to say. The And the day will come when, you know, it'll be judgment day. The time will come when you'll see the difference. Because, but wait a minute. Not in your time. He's talking about Mashiach time, World War III, uh, that's a different business, right? Because when that day comes, oh boy, um, let's put it this way, in the final judgment day, everybody be burned, unless you're righteous, which you ain't. This is where you get all these prophecies about the uh, the final judgment, which means the day when the wicked will finally get what's coming to them. They'll be burned alive. And the sun will come out and burn them. The Rosham will be burned to a crisp. And you'll and the Tariqim will walk over them. So all I can all you see over here. Now notice has to do with Shabbat Zagalo. All you see over here is the prophet saying like this. You laugh now. Because you can easily tell that his words were vain. He wasn't persuading anybody uh, as he goes through the book of Malachi. I'm sure this is true of a lot of the other prophets. It was a bummer to be a Noah. People think it's a glorious thing to be a Noah. It's glorious to get to Ruch HaKodesh, but it's very depressing when you see that people don't listen. People don't listen, okay? At least not the people he wanted to. And um, he concludes over here, almost with an artificial conclusion, but he concludes his prophecy with like a call. Try to remember the Torah while you have time. Because if you make it 
to the final judgment. And listen, the way we believe it is, the way we believe it is that, you know, when the final judgment comes, the dead will be uh, brought back and then will come the final test. The dead will come back and then everyone will be judged. And, uh, and those who don't make it will be permanently doomed in various ways and the righteous will, will prosper. So he's got to fall back on this kind of business, which the people he's talking to will never see. Will never see. This is for the future. Okay, I mean, maybe they knew it, maybe they didn't know it. And all you can say is like this, Zichru Torah Moshavdi. If you're smart, you'll remember to try to keep the Torah. And then he says a Pusik that is the most well-known of all this and the most enigmatic. I'm warning you that this final judgment is coming and those of you who say, I don't see justice, oh boy, on that day you'll see justice. You get a blowtorch in the face, baby. Right? You'll see justice. But it'll be too late. It'll be too late. So that's scary. Well, maybe not. Maybe not. Just before, see, God is merciful. Just before the final judgment and the blowtorches, you'll have a last chance, right? The last chance is called Elyon Novi. Okay? He will come. He'll show up a little bit before the final judgment so that you'll have a last chance to repent. And he will restore the parents to the children and vice versa, lest I destroy everybody and wipe them out. So the way to understand this is that I, I, Malachi, have given you warning and you didn't listen. Prophets before me have given you warning and you didn't listen. There may be people in the future will give you Muslim Shmuz and you don't listen. Okay, you can keep going like that. But when the final judgment comes, at the end of time, you'll get one last chance, and whoever doesn't do it then, so means Eliyahu will be on the mission to try to get people to do Teshuvah. Will he succeed? Who knows? Who knows? Those who he succeeds will be lucky. Those who not succeed, as he says, now we don't end this Pasuk on this Pasuk Haftarah. We repeat the Eliyahu Pasuk because you never want to end on a negative note because he said like this, he will restore the the the, the uh, amuna and all this, or else, or else they get wiped out and be crushed. Nobody wants to end off Torah, or you will be wiped out. The case is called, it's chayram. Nobody wants to do it like that. So we just say again, <coughs> this pasuk is fascinating, gets a lot of attention. It's extremely enigmatic, and I'll tell you what I mean. As far as I'm aware, this is the sole reference, and we all base everything on this, the sole reference to Elion and Novi not dying. Let me put it this way. Why is he sending Elio? I mean, why does he send Moshe Rabbeinu? After all, it's the final judgment. You know, he's giving a last chance. Uh, you know, there are other prophets. Why Dafka Elio? Elio is certainly not the nicest guy. If you look in the Tanakh, Elio is Midas Adin. If you know what I'm talking about, read the book of Malachim. He doesn't come across like the Jewish Santa Claus or anything like this. Elio now comes like a Midas Adin. Wherever he goes, it's a famine, it's a death, it's, you know, it's stark. Get it? Uh, so it's just very interesting. <clears throat> this is the basis, as far as I'm aware, this is the only reference in Scripture to the prophet Elijah outside of, of you know, of um, Malachim, where he lived. <clears throat> now, this is the basis of the idea, Elyon Navilo Mace. If you read Malachim, you see, he went to heaven in a fiery chariot. So, so whatever that means, and how can I know what it means? 
because you're talking about a physical image and you're talking about a non-physical Messias. He went to heaven. There's no heaven, right? It's not a place. Not a place. So he went to heaven in a fiery chariot. So it wasn't literally a chariot. It's not literally heaven, but something happened. So we call this translation. I mean, I'm sure I spoke about this in another podcast. I must have. That what happens to Elio is not identical with what we call death, right? It's something else. Okay, so if it's not typical death, then it means it's possible to go back and forth. Like I go back and forth from Baltimore to New York, he can go from this this world of existence to a different world of existence and back. That's where you get the idea that Elio know he showed up in the Gemara all the time. This is where you have the basis of the custom that we're going to open the door for Elio Novi at the Seder. Because he, he gets around a lot and he goes back and forth and he's not bound by the usual physical impediments. He can be physical if he wants to, but he can also go the other way. There's no other figure in Judaism that I know of like that. Right? However, it is remarkable that before the resurrection, so this passage confirms what I just said, that he didn't exactly die, and he can show up at God's command back and forth. He can, you know, transition from one mode of existence to a different mode of existence and back and forth. And Hashem will use him, okay, will use him in this way of this is the basis of the doctrine, you might say, that, you know, that, uh, that, that there will be, a, before the Mashiach will come something. Get it? I have to rephrase that. Before the final coming, before the last day, last judgment, before that will be some kind of appearance of a prophetic figure. Now, this is interesting. It's not a messianic figure. Get it? Is what you call the Mashiach. Now it's all un- it's all unclear, and anybody tries to bring clarity, you know, uh, is, is making a guess. And the Rambam very famously says, "Listen, listen to the Rambam at the very end of the Mishnah Torah. He's at the very very last chapter. He says, Don't think in the Messianic times there's going to be miracles, uh, supernatural. This is a famous shita of the Rambam." And he says, I, it says, guards Abraham, Kevin's the lion will down with, lie down with the lamb. That just means there'll be peace between Israel and the Arabs. Fat chance. And all these other things that you find in the prophetic writings in the Nevi'im and Ksuvim about Mashiach's side, Mashal, Mashalm Haim. will be most Mashiach, And after it's over, we'll know what it meant. Having said that, the Rambam says, I'll throw a few of it out at you. I mean, that's basically what he does. I remind you, this is the Mishnah Torah, which you meant for everybody to read. <clears throat> the only difference is that, you know, we'll have, the Jews will be in an independent state of Israel. Now, I don't say the current state of Israel, but the state of Israel. The Rambam says, if you go by Pshat, not that he's saying the Pshat is correct, because it says we'll only know after it's over. But looking at Pesukim as they are, such as the Pesuk of this week's Haftarah, it sounds like <clears throat> It seems like to be World War III. And prior to World War III, so not only prior to the last judgment, to the, to the last day of time, when it's the final judgment, but prior to the World War III that will break out, the Melchemist Gogamogog, Yamod Navi Li Israel. There'll be a Navi pop up. 
I, we haven't had Nevi'im in a long time. Doesn't matter. Liyasher Yisrael, Olohachin Libam. To bring a Musr. Liyasher to Yisrael, to make Yisrael Yashar, Olohachin Libam, and to cleanse their heart. Shehen Emar, Hineo Anochi Sholoch Lechemes Elianavi. Now the Rambam didn't say it will be Elianavi. He said rather, Yamod Navi, where's the words? So, in the Chazal, this is going to sound funny. They were worried. What's going to happen when Elio comes in Mashiach times? What about the families of the Mamzerim and people like that? Kiva Shinitma, Nitma. You know, once they're in with an eye in nitma nitma, so once they're in, you know, they're, they're, we won't tell who they are, and they'll be embarrassed. So this is bad news. Are you telling me? I'll use modern terminology. Now that you have the DNA, you might come to somebody and say, "Yes, guess what? You're not Jewish." As a matter of fact, you're you're the son of Hitler, <laughs> right? Or Sancher or something like that. You know, but the DNA they can do stuff that we never could imagine before. So what if somebody would tell you, you know, you're not Jewish? Your DNA shows you're not Jewish. You're actually descended from uh, Khmelnitsky, whatever. Uh, such things are possible. Now, uh, he said, no, don't worry about that. The Rambam happens to go with the Chazal that says, Elion, no, he's not going to come to turn on the light of knowledge and tell and, and give away secrets, family secrets. Those who have family skeletons in the closet from the point of view of Yichas, Elio will not touch. But rather, Lasum Shalom Ba'olam. So he takes the idea of Heishri Blavi Ovisabon and is universal peace. Okay. It's very interesting. The Rambam goes on to say, is another opinion, that Elio will not come immediately before Gogo Magog, but rather Elio will come immediately before Biyas HaMashiach. Right? And nobody knows which is the correct interpretation. Even the Novis didn't know. And even the Chazal didn't know. You know, and anyway, he says, you know, don't get involved in these kind of uh, speculations. Don't get involved in these kind of speculations. Okay? Uh, by the way, he does quote, I just want you to know, since we're dealing with a famous, very famous Rambam, he does quote a Pasuk from our Haftorah today, where it says that, um, or at least the Pasuk immediately preceding it, when all the Jews are brought back to Israel, that he will have Bruch HaKodesh, he'll be able to tell, you know, who is what, who's a real coin. For example, I think I'm a coin. I hope I'm a coin. That's what I always think. I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Even the families, they say no, don't really know. Right? You know, because nobody can trace it all the way back. They claim they can, but they can't. <coughs> uh, and he goes to talk about, you know, that kind of thing. But he says, don't worry, he won't give away the mums there. If you're interested in this, you look up the Rambam at the very end of the Mishnah Torah, which is very, very interesting. I don't want to take too much time to speak of the router. I want to direct attention to, to what I consider a very interesting puzzle. And that is, it says, The Mepharshim notice, and this is all famous. Listen closely. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know enough Hebrew to, 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 to follow what I'm about to say. Wrong. It should say, Lave of us libonim, not albonim. Lave bonim lavosam. He will turn the hearts of the children to the parents, and the hearts of the parents to the children. That makes sense, right? You bring about family harmony. 
right? A lot of families have issues, parents and children. It happens, you know, things like that, generation gap. And so, hey, she levavos libonim, libonim libavosam. But it does not say that. It says, hey, she levavos albanim. Translate. You can't even translate that. He will return the hearts of the parents onto the children, albanim, and, and the other way around, libonim albosam. How do you do something al? How do you do something al? Okay? Um, that's weird. Now, I'm sure there are ways of eliding the Hebrew problems. I've seen that, you know. Some kind of, I don't know, you know, some kind of that's a, a form of Hebrew and whatever. But the question, as far as I'm concerned, is better than the answer. And Rashi here is extremely interesting. I'll tell you why. Rashi quotes a shot from um, uh, the guy who was the Nach expert in his generation or generation before him. Once in a while, there was somebody named Menachem ben Chelbo. I know you don't know him, you know, but take it from me. He's an important Risha. Menachem ben Chelbo, who was a Rosh Hashiva in southern France. The Chashiva guy. Menachem ben Chelbo was one of the few Ashkenazic weirdos that were interested in Tanakh. Most of the people in the time of Rashi and afterwards, Gemar, Gemar, Gemar. That's the Ashkenazic model. Gemar, Gemar, Gemar. And indeed, believe me, these guys spent most of their time Gemar, Gemar, Gemar. When we talk about Haskalah in the Middle Ages, you talk about Spain. In Spain, you have people in grammar, in Tanakh, in Dikduk, you know, in addition to Gemar, you know, poetry. But Ashkenazim, you always think Ashkenazim is like narrow, narrow. Gemar, 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 maybe a little halacha. And that's true. That is true. However, even in very narrow Ashkenaz, there were some weirdos, marginal figures, shall we say, who for one reason or another made themselves experts in Tanakh, and I, I emphasize Nach. Now, one of the reasons is they had to debate the Christians. It's not the only reason, but it's one of the reasons. Okay? You know, and uh, in the Christian, especially in the Middle Ages, we're talking the ten hundreds over here. Menachem and Chelbo was a Talmud of somebody who was a Talmud of uh, the Rabbeinu Gershom. Just to give you an idea what we're talking about. So, uh, you can look him up. Now, and he wrote a book called Pisronim. Now, Menachem and Chelbo... Uh, was one of the debaters used to have in these disputations was Christian priests. Usually in that time, the Christians always read the Bible from the Latin, and they dodge everything to the point that they don't, don't understand uh, Pashib Shah. So like I see, you know, if you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, obviously one obviously they'll say, Abraham represents the father, Isaac represents the son, and Jacob represents the Holy Ghost. It's three and three, you know? And the Jewish guy says, no, there was a guy named Abraham. It was a guy, okay? Get over it. There was another guy named Isaac. That was his son. He had a son, right? There was another guy named Jacob. It's got nothing to do with the Christian. So the Jews argued the Pashim shot in the Middle Ages at that period. It's a very interesting Pasha. I just don't have time to go into it now. Maybe one time we'll do Menachem and Chelbo in that school uh, for a podcast or something. It's actually very interesting. So these would be the Ashkenazim who were into Navi, into Tzuvim. Rashi, as you know, was into Chumash. However, Rashi in Chumash is not so simple because Rashi doesn't really go for Pashib Shat. Rashi is not the Rajbam, and he's not the Chizkuni. Uh, I'm talking somebody more like that, although these guys were a little firmer, a little bit firmer. Menachem Mechelbo, and Menachem Mechelbo's Talmud, his nephew, was uh, a Yosef Kro. So Kro means Mr. Mikro. So even in Ashkenaz, they had a few guys, a few, who specialized in, in Tanakh. This made them very brave. <laughs> 
You know, so show me a guy in Yeshiva world today, like a punter who's a bucky in Tanakh, you know, in Nach, in the Vim. It's, it's not often. It's not often. So these guys in Time of Rashi, um, Menachem Bechelbo wrote a book, some of which survives, most of which does not. And and uh, he knew Rashi, his nephew knew Rashi. Actually, his nephew was a, a friend of Rashi's, of Yosef Koral. I know you don't notice this, but Rashi from time to time is in the Chumash and Nach, quotes these people, including our Parsha today, as I want to share with you. And uh, Yosef Koral, Marie Koral, you see in the back of the, uh, in the Mikras Gadol sometimes, Marie Koral. You know, that's, that's a contemporary and a buddy of Rashi's. I mean, he literally was a buddy, you know? And they debated, argued over Nach. And you can see that Rashi more or less deferred. Rashi said, I'm a, a Gemara guy and I'm a Chumash guy, right? Which Rashi interpreted in his own particular way, you know, using the Chazals and all the rest of it. Rabbi Yosef Kral, and they, these were more Pashup Shah people, uh, according to Chazal, you know, in other words, not deviating from the Jewish tradition, but much more Pashup Shah, and very much into the Hebrew language. And here I'll tell you a very nice one, because it says, So this is actually a, a nice shot. I'm quoting Rashi now. Right? This is what I hold you know, from, I, I got from the book of Menachem Echelbo. Now I'll tell you how I understand it. And it's really funny because we see it nowadays more or less. This is my understanding of it. I'm not putting this on anybody else. Sometimes, uh, I've seen this, and maybe you have. You have parents that are totally not from and not interested in anything. Their son or their daughter becomes a BT, a Balchuba, and they are, depending on the family dynamics, of course, they are able to do something that nobody else would have thought would ever happen, right? And they're able to make the parents from. Because a kid can, can, can have influence on the parents that nobody else can have. See, even if the parent is the biggest skeptic and all the rest of it, but if, if, if the son, if the daughter or grandson, something like that does it, you can nag your parent in a way that somebody else couldn't do would be resented. A kid has a has a green light to do that, provided the family dynamics are that way. Okay? So it's very fascinating. Hate you, lay us, all you day up on them. Isn't that interesting? We do see this now. This I've seen it. We do see that sometimes the older generation will move not overnight, but we'll move, you know, here Pesach is coming. Talk to anybody in the Kirov world. You know, then see why I talk to any Chabad Shliach, they can tell you stories. Pesach Seders where Yeheshiv Levovus Abonim, the kids, nag, drag, shmag, whatever it is, and they get the parents in there. Okay? Uh, so this is going, when you see this, this is already like Maimonides says, this is a manifestation of Elianavi. Doesn't necessarily have to be literally Elianavi. Maybe yes, maybe no. But the, the the phenomenon is what it was talking about, which is absolutely fascinating. The other one I've never seen, or maybe I have, but it's much more rare. The Heishiv Leif, Leif Bonim Alovas. This would be the following scenario. And again, I know there's some of you listening out there who are Kira professionals and Chabad professionals and this, that, and the other. Maybe you'll see, maybe you can tell me. This would be a family that's totally not from and then the parent or the grandparent becomes from, and he is able to influence the young ones to become from. I'm not sure I've seen, maybe I have, uh, but the, I've seen the other way more. 
right? These two things themselves is what he calls the a sign of Elyon Navi and a sign before the coming. Um, there's a famous, I'm reminded that this Pusik is famous in another context in Jewish history because in the 16th century, there was a famous controversy over the smicha. I think some of you know what I'm talking about. When they wanted to revive the real smicha and bring back a Sanhedrin. Rabbi Yaakov Marie Beirav, in Eretz Yisrael, in Turkish Palestine in the 1500s. I think like 1530s, I believe, 20s, 30s. And uh, it was a whole big fight over it. And as we know, they tried to make it happen, but it didn't happen. I mean, they sort of happened, but not really. Uh, also, some biggies were in it. I mean, you know who got the smicha over there, among others? It was the Alshech, Chaim Betal, Yosef Karo, you know, big people. But it didn't take off. Right? It did not take off. It couldn't, but it didn't. And this provoked a whole literature of uh, back and forth among the Shalos and the Tubas, the countries of smichas, and it got very scholastic. And one of the, I, I, I'm going by memory, one of the interesting things was, they said like this, the pro-Sanhedrin guys, like Marie Beirav, they said, listen, um, in order for them, among the many arguments they advanced was the following. For the Mashiach to come, um, you have to have a Sanhedrin, because it says, and then comes the Mashiach. So you see, you have to have that has to actually happen prior to Mashiach. So let's do it now, so it'll be there. Because otherwise, you're blocking the Mashiach from coming. Is that who you guys are, who are opposing this Mikha? You're such bad people, you want to block the Mashiach from coming? And I remember one of the counter-arguments was like this. Uh, not true. It says, Elion Navi is going to come from today's Torah, right? And um, and all that kind of stuff. And one of the people, so that means before Elio comes, okay? Before Elio comes, uh, I'm sorry, before Mashiach comes, is going to be a Sanhedrin. Well, Elio Navi has the smicha, right? Elio Navi has the smicha, and he can do it. So if he's going to come anyway, Let's say, uh, I'm just making this up. Let's say the Mashiach is coming next Tuesday. Let's make this up. So, okay, you're telling me there's no smicha. There's no Sanhedrin. No, no, Elio is going to come on Sunday. And he has the smicha. And if you know the rules, once one person has the smicha, he can immediately commission 69 others, 70 others. He can go to 79 Gedolim, Gachan Kanyeski, whoever you want, whatever it is, and say, I hereby give you the smicha. And then he has it. And there will be a, a Sanhedrin in, in operation. So they took this literally, and they're saying like this: the literal, the fact that Elio's uh, coming is is predicted, you know, shows we don't have to worry about making us a, a Sanhedrin now. So I'm just trying to that's a famous uh, valence that this verse had in Jewish history. Now, what does it all have to do with Sanhedrin, right? What, what does it have to do with Sanhedrin? Hold on one second. Hi, I got interrupted there. I'm like, I'm sorry. I kicked out of my room by my wife. They're cleaning up for Pesach. <laughs> That's normal. Um, I was telling Elion and Navi, and let me just um, conclude with the following, and that is, in the new Art Scroll, the Kudos, Tanakhs, which is very nice, they include over here, on this Pesach, appears from the Maral, which they lifted from his uh, Gvurz Hashem, 
which I'm hoping to get the Cheetah Edition of soon. Moshe Levi sent it me from Israel. He came out and soon with a new uh, Cheetah Edition of the Gura Hashem. <laughs> I like them. And um, hopefully you get it before Pesach. And in this piece, the Maral, in, in the Gura Hashem he talks about, you see it's his rhyme and things like that. And this is from chapter 39, where he says the following. On this passage, Shabbos shelofnei pesach nikra Shabbos agado, v'harbi dvarim bo al kach. Right, there are many reasons. V'ein lecholoma rak lefishim aftirim bo v'yerbel Hashem uksiv lefnei bo yom hagado v'hanura. Mitnezeh nikra Shabbos agado, and you can't say he simply because it aftar. Although that is one opinion, as I told you before, the moral is acknowledging that he just doesn't like that. He said it's not enough to say Shabbos agado is because it says yom hagado. Uh, in there, but rather, Pirazek he sees Mitzrayim Nikra Gadol Al Shem Godless Ma'isav and the Ranch also with Paul Kashi Mitzrayim. We call Shabbos a Gadol in reference to the Passover, to the Exodus from Egypt, to the Gadol things, the Neflos Nisim Neflos that were there. And indeed, in the next Geula, meaning the Mashiach time, it'll be even a bigger Gadol. I'll be even bigger. So in other words, in our parish it says, Oh, the Mashiach time be Godol al Godol, Nor al Nor. Just like they once were Zoha to the level of being leaving Egypt with miracles, that'll be even bigger. When Mashiach time, Lafiko Shabbos Shlafne Pesach, Nikra Shabbos Agoro, meaning he called Shabbos to mean Vizekal Olam Habash, Nikra Shabbos. So it'll be something even bigger, right? It'll be something even bigger. So, uh, all right, that's a part. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, that's a shot. But the plain meaning is that people were referring to the original Passover. Uh, so the question becomes why do we read this after After all, a lot of it is depressing. Uh, the Jews are not on a good Madrake in the book of Malachi, right? They are constantly fighting back with him. God says, They drive me crazy with your words. In other words, you won't even take most. You always argue back, you know, like some people do. What's wrong with me? But I'm in the shoe. So the Torah itself is very complicated. But there's no question that uh, there's a tradition that the next Geula, the Mashiach time, will come in Pesach time. There are other traditions as well, but there's that one. And I think whoever put this Haftorah together, as the Haftorah for Shabbos Agol, had this in mind, to fortify the masses with the idea, that you'll see big miracles again, and uh, you should expect the coming of Eliyahu Navi, and uh, it'll be, big, you know, Godol, uh, uh, it'll be big like it was in the time of Jesus Rhyme. Knows the future Gula will be a repeat in some sense, in some sense of the original one, which is why the Maral wrote that book, and all the, I mean, not the Maral, the Ramchal wrote that book, you know, uh, what was it, Maimra uh, Hagula, all the, you know, the parallels that they argue for between the Yisitzit's Ram on the one hand, and the final Gula on the other, there'll be a wicked king, there'll be some suffering, and then in the end there'll be happy ending through miracles, you know, none of us know exactly how it is. So, we leave this, I leave this to you, to uh, ponder, um, as you go through the Haftorah here, are there parts other than the end, there would be no gay to Pesach. Um, perhaps, perhaps, what's no gay is that in the time of Moshe Rabbeinu, 
You heard the same thing from the Jews? Uh, when Moshe said, let's leave, and all, a lot of people didn't want to leave me, Rashi said, meaning the same kind of arguments back and forth. You know, what are we doing wrong? Moshe had to put up with. In spite of everything, in the end it worked out. Now, 80%, 20%, whatever. But in the end it worked out. And so maybe for a more thoughtful analysis, you might want to discuss this this coming Shabbos, Shabbos Agolov, you know, um, the whole uh, chapter there in uh, Yechezkel where it says that, uh, you know, when you left Egypt, you were in bad shape and you didn't get rid of the idols. This uh, one where it says, I think it's in that chapter. So if you want to pursue this intelligently, you look up that chapter in Yechezkel and you compare what happened with what's described in Malachi and it seems like the parallels between what happened in the original Exodus from Egypt, when it wasn't simple at all, and the later parallels, when it doesn't look like today that most of the Jewish people just flipping over tomorrow, becoming, you know, from, uh, those parallels are very striking. Anyway, that's what I think is a uh, critical and an in, in intellectual way to uh, look at this parsha in the context of Shabbos ago. Once again, we thank our sponsors, the Cheska uh, Lichman and the Peretz family in, Peretz, and, in Israel, and... Uh, Again, you'll have to get this with Spanish translation. We appreciate all the responses. You should all have a chag kosher v'sameach. All responses, all the people are listening. And with that, I bid you a good week. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.